catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Today we ask, are digital IDs paving a digital road to hell or are they really the rough road to heaven? One of the reasons adoption of digital ID systems is maybe not as fast as we expected it to be is because of trust or because of mistrust. This does not just come from the owners of the data, the citizens, but civil society experts. And today we shall discuss this issue of trust in the ID systems, the challenges, opportunities, data privacy and protection in the ID management space and other concerns around policies and regulatory compliance. There are mounting evidences collected by civil society organizations and independent researchers and experts that digital ID systems may have a harmful impact on human rights. The issues of data privacy and protection and digital IDs in Africa, can we actually have both as we develop these ID systems? I have the CEO of Simfix, Frank Atube, and a responsible AI advocate, Kingsley Owadara, with me today to discuss this very pertinent issue because almost every country on the continent of Africa is adopting one form of digital ID or the other and many people are signing up to services that actually use up these ID systems. Hi Frank, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great. And it's good to be here with you guys. Mm-hmm. And Kingsley, how about you? How are you doing today? Yeah, being good. Good to be here. Okay, so yeah. I, w- I would start with Frank and it's why do we need digital IDs in Africa? Why do they seem so important? We can just stay in a Stone Age world, you know, and do things the way we used to do them. But why are digital IDs very important in Africa? All right, that's a good question. Also, considering where we sit as an organization that addresses um, KYC and identity management challenges. First, you can buttress the importance of digital ID in Africa. The importance and advantages are numerous. Digital ID are quite um, crucial in addressing a range of issues, right? Starting with social inclusion, identification gaps, planning, financial inclusion, security, and you know more services that could be layered on it. So from analysis and findings, you can tell that there's a huge gap today in the lack of foundational databases in Africa, right? And you can see lots of um, countries trying to institute a solid foundational database. You use the case of Tanzania, where they have a body called NIDA. You use the case of Nigeria, where you have a NIMSI, right? And what are they trying to do? They're building foundational databases so that people can be identified. And when people are identified, the difficulty for accessing government or financial services lessens because the service providers or organizations that need to onboard customers, they actually do have a reference, right? To say, hey, this customer that I'm bringing on board, my service, this is the identity of the customer. This customer that I'm about to entrust with a loan, this is the identity of the customer. So without digital IDs, individuals in most African countries are unable to prove their identity or access some of these financial or social services, right? Which limits the promotion of financial inclusion. And to add to it, the lack of digital IDs creates challenges in terms of securities and service deliveries for the service providers, as it can be difficult to verify the identity of individuals and ensure that you know these resources are located effectively. So for us, we would say developing and implementing digital ID system is so important in addressing these gaps and promoting inclusion, inclusivity, security, and improved services across Africa. And generally, I think 
there's some progress being made. You can see Nigeria, you can see how adoption of uh, digitalized is improving by the day. You can see the drive from a NIMSI that has increased the number of those with a national ID by over 2x in the last um, um, two years. NIMSI has been existing for quite some time, but when they became more intentional in sometime 2020 December, and also enabling the adoption of digital ID by mandating the telcos, for example, which which is a huge player in the way. Say, you know what? You have lots of customers, millions of customers that you onboard on a monthly basis. You'll be a good instrument for us to ensure that more people are actually to do going forward is before you issue your SIM card to them, request for your NIN, the national identity number. And in the process, because of that policy, you realize that people are now prompted or forced to go get their digital IDs. And the improvement is tremendous from about 42.3 million right now. We have over 85 million. And the 42.3 million as at then, I think it took it took a lot of years for, for us to get there as a country. But just by putting enforcing some little policies here and there, that number doubled in two years. So yeah, I, I think that's our feedback and take on that. But we, we can't buttress well enough how important digital ID is. Okay, thank you very much. And to Kingsley, with the force we've had about you know adoption of digital IDs and the possible issues with privacy and human rights do you really think that you know this is a very important step you know and without the adoption of digital ids you know we may actually be behind the rest of the world all right so the question of digital privacy you know vis-a-vis human rights is a serious question that we should observe we should discuss first of all if you look at the foundation of the right to privacy section 37 of the nigerian constitution that provides that everyone have the right to privacy. Now, that is on the one part. If you look at um, Article 6 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, it also provides that everyone has a right to be recognized everywhere. Now, this is two issues. First of all, having the right to privacy, and the second thing, having the right to be recognized. So that means that for a person to be recognized, there are some form of privacy that the person needs to surrender most countries now, there are conversations around having a smart city. And a smart city is a city where everything is connected with every with everything. So that's like an interconnection of everyone and everywhere. So from your rushing tap in your house, to your waste bin, you know, to the traffic, to your tax, to everything. So, so it's, it's a way where you get everything running without or with few options of human in the loop. So the question is that, seeing the progress of the world now, seeing the conversations on how you can adopt technology to enforce that growth and improvement, how do you tend to manage the question of privacy, which I, I see that digital ID is very, very instrumental towards getting this done. So to tackle the question of privacy, I see it as something that must be deliberate. If we are saying that we should get the details of this person, get almost all the details of the person, how he was born, whether I like it or not, is there, you know, where you're going to, because digital ID, you know, it extends beyond personal information. Because if a particular sector, probably the health, they're implementing digital ID, which means they are getting all details as it relates to your health record, if you're saying banks getting implement digital ID, 
which means that getting things that relates to your financial records. If we're saying that social media, because social media also you know implements some form of um, digital ID. So that means social media is getting questions as to your location, your, where you're visiting, of your recreation, where you're eating, and all the likes. So the question is that it's to some extent it looks as though the entire life cycle of a human is being monitored, which that in itself is like a threat to life because anything can happen at any time. So I feel that what is really essential now is seeing how we can embed privacy at the fundamentals of getting those information and also seeing how those systems can adopt what we call privacy by design. So, so embedding privacy at fundamentals and having privacy by design is what I, I feel at this first stage is fundamental. Okay, very important points made. And Frank, I would want to ask, because based on what Kingsley has mentioned, you know, at the crux of everything is trust and mistrust, you know, just the boundary between that. How do you think we can build that level of trust in the ID management ecosystem? So we all know that building trust is crucial for digital identity to work, right? Um, even you yourself, before you share your information, you are probably asking yourself, how am I sure this information I'm, I'm sharing is being kept private, right? How am I sure this information would not be shared with other people that could easily abuse it? But to achieve that trust, ID management solution providers need to be transparent in, in the way the data is collected. They need to have um, policies in place. They need to make uh, these people sharing the information feel comfortable. They need to have been certified by some certain ISOs. So for example, in, in what we do, we ensure we take um, compliance and security very serious as a company. So we've put necessary policies and processes in place by having things like what you call ISO 27001, Information Security Management System, and also have ISO 27701, Privacy Information Management System. By going through this process, you're even more aware as an organization, as a solution provider, the kind of things you need to put in place to ensure that the information you collect from these customers are actually safe. So most times people get to build based on how they understand that they should build, right? But in reality, when you go through these thorough processes, you realize that there's more in terms of how you build. There's more in terms of even the kind of personnel you have that is building and handling the information of people that is collected. So simply put, ID management solution, it needs to be transparent in the way data is collected and how it to be used. Security must be considered when you are designing these solutions, right? And privacy must be prioritized. It's inevitable. Users must have control of their data and they should be able to manage it effectively, right? And you can see with recent evolutions how there's now the concept of what you call tokenization, right? Some sensitive part of your information is not just necessarily shared with providers. You share a tokenized version of that information and you can do any form of verification that is actually required. Yeah. Okay, um, that's interesting. Now, Kingsley, what would you think the role of policies and, you know, these regulatory frameworks, some of them that Frank has mentioned, what do you think the role of these things are in contributing to ensuring that data privacy is at the foundation of deciding these digital ID systems and how they are managed? And do you think we're getting it right in that area of policy and regulatory framework? So concerning the, the question of um, policies and um, regulations, the fact remains that when anything is not governed by law, you cannot specifically call any act done by that entity as being unlawful because there is no any law that has um, stated it to be unlawful. So as the question of the place of policies and laws, let me start from policies. Policies just help to give guidelines on how a thing can be. For instance, I'm looking at it now from the African perspective. When it comes to the question of trustworthiness, 
in emerging technologies. Some group of persons, or regionally, there have been things that have been adopted to serve as guidelines into ensuring that it can build trust when it comes to technology. For instance, you will see a question of robustness. Seeing that any technology that has been built is being robust, you see the question of um, consent, making sure that you get the effective consent of the person. You see the question of privacy. You know, you see the question of inclusion. You see the question of um, transparency and explainability. And you see all these things are, um, as a policy, they actually serve as guidelines. And one of the negative sides of a policy is the fact that policy lacks a more call enforcement ability. So if there is anybody defaulting any form of policy, often than not, there, there is really no agency to hold the person accountable for going against the policy because it's just like a guideline. That's the first aspect. When it comes to regulations, I see that regulation is crucial when it comes to having people do what you want them to do because if there is no regulation to guide the usage of the thing, there is no how you can say if the person has gone against it. So I feel that as much as we are having regulation, the regulation must also in itself include what we call enforcement mechanisms, or I would rather call it enforcement machineries. So what does that mean? It means that once we have regulations and there is any breach of such regulations, in this case laws, in such instance, there should be a body that must be responsible to enforce compliance. At the same time, there must be a stipulated punishment, or what I call a sanction, to bring them back. So that means that when policies are creating guidelines, creating requirements, creating how we should go, regulations are creating details on how we should go and what happens if you don't go that way. And I feel this is really fundamental because you see, when the purpose of a thing is not known, you know, it's, it's abuse, abuse is inevitable. And we have seen where organizations, there are a lot of use cases where organizations are really abused, the identity of people. And also you see everywhere, you see everywhere on the internet, you see digital footprints littered everywhere. And people just go up, in fact, people buy data. And they would not even wonder, for instance, in the Nigerian case that we have the NDPR, that is the National Data Protection Regulation, and people would not even mind that, that such, such exists. So I feel that regulation serves an important role in enforcing compliance on the one part. Then on the second part, how has African as a whole done so far when it comes to you know, regulating digital IDs? Now, the truth is that there is no one law suits all when it comes to regulating digital ID. Just like the example I gave earlier on, you cannot just have a law that can capture everything about privacy. No, you would not. So what you get, what you get to have is that when it comes to probably the banks, the Bofia, the Bofia has probably a, a specific section of the law that promotes privacy. When it comes to probably law that um, relates to healthcare, it also has a specific aspects that provides privacy. When it comes to child rights, that's your privacy. When it comes to, because every sector is adopting artificial intelligence, every sector is bringing, you know, implementing uh, machine learning into and there are several algorithms that are coming in. So if you are saying that we are looking forward to a particular law that captures everything, they will be missing it because it will get to a stage where you look into the law and you discover that the particular service your company wants to provide is not captured by the law. So that means in such instance, it is left to your discretion to decide what, you know, what principle, what laws 
are you going to adopt? So you see that, and if you look at Africa as a whole, apart from Nigeria that has the NDPR, only few countries have really adopted. I'm talking about either as a country or regionally. And one thing that I really appreciate about what Nigeria has done is that the right to privacy, you know, is enshrined in the fundamentals of our law. That means in our constitution itself, there's a basics, you know, for privacy that every other law can draw inspiration from. And that's the same thing I want to say this morning, you know, encouraging all African countries and, and seeing how they can enforce privacy from the fundamentals, from the basics. And even if you are building other laws, you know, it already has a base that it can actually tap its inspiration from. So I feel as a whole, Africa is not doing well, but we can do better. That's just, uh, that's just the conclusion I can make from, you know, this whole conversation. Mm, Africans can truly do better. Frank, you work in that ID management space, yeah? So what challenges with data privacy do you face, you know, as a firm, as someone who works within that space? And what opportunities do you think exist for startups like yours that play in that space when we talk about data privacy and data protection? All right. Some of the challenges being faced today, also from the consumer or rather the customer perspective, is that of consent, right? So most people would rather prefer to give consent before you know their information is used. And as of today, there are limited solutions actually addressing that problem of consent. So there really needs to be a way for consumers or customers to be able to become consent before their data is actually used. So that's from a consent perspective, right? We also look at policies. We actually need to do more in terms of policies. There needs to be more policies to enforce the need for customer consent before their data can be used. So when it comes from policy and regulation, then the necessary solution providers can ensure they adhere to whatever policies. Then obviously the right infrastructure is in place. So even though there's a policy, right, even though there's a policy for customers to give consent, what kind of infrastructure enablers has been provided? The persons responsible for this regulation, so the persons responsible for foundational databases, what have they put in place to ensure that solution providers leveraging on the foundational database are not able to seek for customer consent before they go ahead to share information or reference customer information. And also another thing is that of data breach. How do you ensure that the information of this customer is secure and there will be no form of data breach? So you also have scenarios today where some of these customer data, for some very weird random reason, they're in the hands of wrong people. How it got to them, it's not clear. Was the database sold to someone to make use of? It's not clear today. So what measures do we need to put in place to ensure that there's little or no customer data breach? So that's where security actually does come in, right? So risk of data breach from hackers or people that choose to illegally abuse customer information. So these are some of the challenges. But just to summarize, one, there needs to be a concept of consent. That's at the solution provider layer. There needs to be policies and regulations. There needs to be right infrastructure from the bodies or the regulatory authorities to ensure solution providers able to latch on it and security. So in terms of the opportunities, what it tells you is that there's room for solution providers to actually find ways to grow their business better. If I have a solution I'm providing today and I'm able to find a way to ensure that, you know, there's right customer consent, I believe the customer will actually be willing to pay more if they know there's going to be consent for data being shared, right? There's more trust, so you're able to generate um, more revenue there. And there's also an opportunity for security or cybersecurity organizations 
to collaborate with companies to guide them on how to go about trust and security. So there's an opportunity there. Outside of the social providers, you have cybersecurity organizations that guide companies on what, what they should do. There's an opportunity there. There's also an opportunity from a regulatory compliance perspective. So also organizations that are able to guide companies on what they need to do from a regulatory compliance perspective. So opportunities for solution providers like myself, opportunities for those in the cybersecurity agencies, and even more opportunities for the government putting the regulation in place as well. Mm, okay, many opportunities, I must say, for those who would want to have these thinking. Kingsley, I was just curious when you know I was preparing for this discussion, is there any framework that can serve as an umbrella framework in Africa, for all of Africa, just like we have, you know, that of EU? And how important is it for all of Africa to agree on something like this? When it comes to framework that all Africa can adopt, the closest I have seen so far that can really help is AU's Agenda 2063. And I see that as something that can shield or that can house all these things because it promotes the question of the digital identity, it promotes the question of the adoption of the digital and machines and artificial intelligence and so on. But if you look at it also, when it comes to regionally, even before we look at it as Africa as a whole, we've seen you know several regions, I mean the east, the west, south, and the north central, you know, adopting several laws, you know, several regional laws to protect the question of digital identity. And if you look at it, most of those laws are basically what we call models that can be adopted by you know countries in those states. And we see that most countries have not even adopted it. For instance, if you have in the South, the data protection model law, and, and that, that was actually a law that us to, so it's like a template that the members of the Southern African should adopt. And we see that even though there is a modern law that ought to just be, you don't have to edit anything, just adopt it, you know, in your country. We see that countries are, are not even, have not even adopted it, you know? And that is very problematic. It's, it's a concern because if you have something that you should adopt, we are not saying that come up with a committee that will start writing laws, writing regulations, making findings. No, there's something that already meets with the peculiarity of the South. And we see that there is almost nothing in regards to that. Even in the Eastern African, we see the Eastern African already working on something. For instance, the African Union Convention on Cybersecurity and Data Protection Regulation that is operating in the East. We see that even that at its own, there is little compliance as to adoption. So I feel that what's really important is that Africa, we just need to sit down and tell ourselves the truth. Though we know that most of the challenges faced by the European world, the, you know, the European world, and the Americans, and, and all the likes, they are something that have not, most of them have not, you know, you know, they've not gotten into Africa. But it's good that we are proactive. We think ahead to see how all these things, you know, on the long run would have impact on us. In fact, there are even laws that deals with data localization. In fact, if you, if you see some, some countries, for instance, India, at the time that India had to sue some of the big tech companies and making enforcement that there must be what we call a localization of the data of the people in that country, which means that there should not be cross-border transfer of data of their citizens. And if you look at Africa, let's look at Africa, let's even look at ourselves. Which of the, How many countries have even thought about, you know, having discussions as to data, you know, localization? So it's, it's really a big issue. It's really a big issue. So I, I feel that African nations, we just need to sit down and, and just talk to ourselves and let's be proactive, especially when it comes to regulations. 
we should be proactive and seeing how those agendas of the UN and the agendas of the AU, we can adopt it into our own regulation and enforce compliance. Very interesting. Frank, this is probably the last question I'm going to ask. Data privacy and digital IDs in Africa, can we have both? What is the biggest challenge to actually having both? And why should we have both? Now, what is the reason why no matter how big the challenge is, uh, we should go ahead to ensure that we have both data privacy and digital identities, you know, side by side? All right. Thank, thanks, Anthony. We can't em- emphasize enough the need to have digital IDs. Like we, we said earlier, we already know the advantages of digital IDs. It helps proper inclusion, be it social or financial inclusion. It helps with planning, right? It helps with identification gap, right? It helps with security. So that's a must for largely every African country. And data privacy complements it. So you, to directly answer your question, yes, you must have both. The, you can't have one or the other. You, you have to have both digital IDs being in place and data privacy to ensure that the way this information is collected, the way this information is stored, the way this information is used is actually secure and also helps with information of the customer, right? And this also reflects in how some solution providers choose to manage customer information. So you have the concept of PII, right? Party. So data privacy actually comes in there. And and I think we're beginning to do well in that regard, but still not well enough. But simply put, both must be done, actually. Okay. And Kingsley, on a final note, data privacy, digital IDs in Africa, what are the biggest threats that you see to having both and why do you think we need to achieve both of them so data privacy and digital ids is it even possible in the first instance to have both yes yes it is possible to have data privacy at the same time to enforce digital id in africa and this is why i I say i know that instances where a particular regulation have good intentions there are people they're always the bad boys that goes there to compromise what exactly it is meant for. It actually happens, you know. Well, irrespective of that, we see, for instance, the GDPR that talks about anonymized data. So we see that as much as we are seeing that there should be privacy, you know, as much as we want everybody should be seen in light of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, everybody should be seen everywhere. So as much as we want people to be seen and at the same time being seen with protection so in that case we can adopt the anonymity so as much as you want my data how do we ensure that you are getting my data and my anonymity is guaranteed my personal data is erased from the data you are, you are getting so it's possible and i feel that the the government plays a crucial role though it's, it's a collective effort to make it done at the same time the government when i mean government i mean the stakeholders plays a crucial role to seeing this done and this is not just a thing of always making regulations always making policies always making these always making pronouncements but no we are seeing how do we ensure that there are people that are skilled in data audits how we how do we ensure that there are people that are knowledgeable enough you know in, in anonymity and knowledgeable enough in algorithms knowledgeable enough in all these things how do we get them into ensuring compliance with all these regulations and i feel that is what we really need to look at personally as a person in ai ethics you know we've seen a lot of issues that have been bigger threats to it 
And privacy is one of those issues because we see that this is when we see people, engineers, just going into websites or going into getting data from places that you cannot even guarantee. So, so you see, and, and those things are things that often than not is either you are enforcing discrimination because when privacy is not guaranteed, other things creep in. The question of discrimination comes in. The question of bias comes in and so many other things. So I feel that privacy in itself is a threat to the question of digital ID in Nigeria. And it is fundamental to see that everybody together, either as stakeholders, as researchers, as industry experts, as professionals, everyone, you know, have a place to play in guaranteeing privacy of people, of your neighbor. So we all have a role to play. But in the top of the pyramid of the role is the government leading the way and seeing how it can give inspiration to every other person to follow. The government leading the privacy campaign and seeing how it can show as a good example for every other person to follow. Mm, okay, so as Nigeria in a few days plan to have its election and this is you know like aside you know this conversation but somehow still connected to this conversation what are the things that we should look out for the most because we have ids that have been submitted by people data that have been submitted by people to um, INEC and you know to other bodies too in nigeria and at this time some of these data being illegally harvested you know for campaigns and you know things like that what are the most important things Things we should look out for citizens should look out for in preparation for the election and then for those who control data what is most important that they look out for they do at this time too and this is me saying this is the last question no more questions kingsley and frank you know this question of data protection and uh, privacy during election is, is not new because there are allegations in the previous i think after it was after the trump election that people were coming up talking about the fact that there was some form of privacy breach and the fact that they were suing this is it data analytica talking about how they have allegedly sold data of people blah 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 so it's it's not really new it's not new well i feel that either for the data subjects or for the data controller, it's something that is very important to watch out for. As I've said it earlier, that we are all involved in this. Now, if you look at the question of data subjects when it comes to election, you observe that as at the time you are putting in, you are registering for your voter's card, you observe that you did not just go there to put in your voter's card. You imputed your, your NIN into getting it done, right? Now, if you look at your NIN as a well, whole, there are other information that are tied to your NIN. So, which means that First of all, the data set we're talking about now is not just with the INEC. The NIN is already involved. Now, if you look at the NIN, once you're registering other things, you see that your NIN is so tight there. So, which means that bits of data here, so together as a whole, a person is tracked. So, I feel that it is really, it's, it's a time to just call on all organizations that are data controllers to put it as a fundamental, as something that is fundamental to them into protecting the data of the citizen. No, in this case, data subjects are actually vulnerable. Because the fact remains that you have given your data, you have given your data. Even though the provisions of the NDPR and the GDPR is that at any time, you can withdraw consent of your data, you know? That's actually it, how it is in, in books, in the papers. But in practice, it's not so. So I've given my data to, to INEC. So how do I say that, okay, INEC, give me my data, I'm, I'm not interested again. It's, it's almost impossible. It's not practicable. It's not practicable. So I feel that it is just an avenue to call upon all agencies that are data controllers in Nigeria 
including banks, because these are times that banks might even blackmailed. You know, okay, look at people in this geographical location and forge some kind of text message to them that we are going to give them five thousand naira to vote for this particular person. It's possible. You can you can talk to you can talk to other bodies that are, are data controllers and say, okay, this particular geographical location, you can map them out for this particular form of advert or for this just something that tends to make people compromise their choice of who they're voting for and also to thwart the, the free, fair and credible election. So I feel that it's a clarion call on everybody and to see that this now is a time for all of us to come together and ensure that as data controllers, we are ensuring that data of the data, data subject are safe. Because in this case, data subjects are fairly vulnerable. So that's just uh, you know, what I can say about it. Okay, Frank, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, thanks, Anthony and Kinsley. I think Kinsley largely answered the question in the most reasonable and diplomatic way possible, <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I would say. But yeah, really, at this point, is to actually call upon these organizations that have functional databases of persons to ensure the information is not abused. So you have lots of foundational databases today. You have that of the telcos, the financial institutions, and other agencies, right? Be it FRS, FIRS, there are just lots of information of persons out there. And it's easy for that information to be abused and used for, um, let's say, some sort of campaigns, right? I believe just scenarios where you, you randomly get messages without necessarily knowing how they got your number, right? So, but simply put, it's for these organizations to ensure that it's not compromised on customer information by either sharing it or sending it out to those that want to use it for all their own benefits at this sensitive time. So people are meant to make decisions based on their own beliefs and principles. There should not be some sort of targeted campaign by getting customer data through fraudulent means to try to make them reconsider their decision. So yeah, everybody has has their own role to play. For these organizations that are controllers of data, we just need to ensure the customer information is not abused by any chance whatsoever. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much, Frank Atube, the Chief Operating Officer at Simfix. And thank you to Kingsley Owadara, a responsible AI advocate. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and experiences. I hope that we continue having these kind of conversations and these kind of discussions drum up as much publicity as we can on this issue as it keeps growing and as the space keeps expanding. Thank you, Frank. Thank you very much, Anthony. Yeah. And Kingsley, thank you very much for today. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. And thanks, Franz. It's awesome listening to you talk. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Kingsley. Yeah. Yeah. So the conversation will continue wherever you are, especially as Nigeria is at a point where a lot of things are on the table right now. No matter what happens, they say that data is king and some say that data is life. So as you go around, as you do business, as you school, as you be a human being, as you control people's data and as you give and manage people's data, please let's all ensure that if data is life and if data is king we as much as possible protect life and we ensure that we place this as the most important thing just like we'll do for anything that is king and at the heart and center of everything tony's tech side continues stay on africa tech radio thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com